popular folklore would have us believe that there exist in the underworld ruthless men who fear nothing. This story should debunk that myth. August 14th, 2 a.m. While the upper strata of the syndicate were accustomed to dealing in millions, the foundation of their fortune was here in their counting houses in the small change of the numbers racket. Mr. Albert Berg, head collections man, a graduate of an Ivy League business school. He was an incompetent even by syndicate standards. The only smart thing he'd ever done was marry the boss's sister. Willie Pike, he'd never been convicted of anything by anybody except the boxing commission. Willie took a dive into the canvas and on through into the bulletproof car set. Willie was making a bundle, a bundle he would never get to spend. 2.30 a.m., Willie Pike, one-time heavyweight contender, now just one heavy pile of lifeless junk. According to the police, Willie had died from severe blows, a gangland killing, no suspects, no leads. So what else is new? I got into the office before the other idiots arrived and banged out my story and thought I'd heard the last of it. That was the voice of reporter Carl Kolshak as he worked on the case known as The Zombie. Originally aired September 20th, 1974, is the second proper episode of The Night Stalker, a.k.a. Kolshak The Night Stalker. And it is the second and final episode that was produced by Paul Playton before he was replaced by Cy Shermack due to some infighting uh, behind the scenes there. So second episode in, and there's already infighting going on behind the scenes. So not good. Well, and from everything we've heard from everyone that knows anything about this show, uh, it's not going to get any better. I am Mike White. I am the co-host of the Kolchak Tapes, and joining me, of course, is Mr. Chris Stashu. Hey there, everybody. How's it going? And in this one, I noticed that he's not just called Kolchak. He's Mr. Kolchik. The voodoo lady mis, uh, mispronounces his name. I mean, it's like, I feel like it's trying to be like a running joke, but not really. Yeah, there's a couple attempts at running jokes in here, and they all kind of fail. <laughs> yeah. Like, particularly, you know, Kolshak hating women. No, no, that was my brother. That was uh, Herbert Kolshak. Winston Kolshak? Sydney. One of them is Sydney Kolshak. That's, that's for sure one was named Sydney. Yeah, so yeah, there's the running gag of him having these brothers, uh, which hopefully doesn't come back. And then there's poor Monique Marmelstein, the niece of the publisher, who um, just keeps getting put in cabs and sent away. Yeah, another, uh, you know, Kolshak being kind of a misogynist. But again, it's, you know, TV from the 70s. So who cares? How dare she try to have a job on her own? She's only there because of nepotism. Nespotism? I, I, she mispronounces it and he looks at her and he's like, what? Nespotism? No, whatever. He's, you know, again, Kolshak's relationship with women in this show is, uh, it doesn't translate well to now. But, I mean, honestly, uh, this episode, I feel like, is this is the the worst episode of the show we've watched. Obviously, there's only two episodes so far. But this episode, this episode is not great. Uh, it has a lot of notable guests like Scatman Crothers, Antonio Fargus, John Fiedler. But it is it is a strange episode because there's a climax that almost makes no sense. It's an anticlimax in the worst way. As I was thinking about this episode today, I was just like, wait a second. Why is there a zombie in this show again? What What is the zombie doing? It's more like a golem than a zombie. Yeah, this is definitely pre-flesh-eating zombies. This is... Uh, this is Serpent and the Rainbow zombies. 
I am so glad that we did an episode of the projection booth on Sugar Hill because I kept thinking of Sugar Hill through this entire episode. Yeah, I mean it's it's that kind of zombie. This is like the this is a voodoo zombie, not a Walking Dead zombie. This guy who has been taken from the dead, and yeah, he is a total golem. He is just being sent out by Mama Lois to do her bidding. At the same time, I'm just like, why? I'm trying. It's what does she have against the people? Did they kill her son or something? Is that what's going on? Is this a revenge plot again? I have no idea what happened to this episode and i watched it twice i I genuinely had no i couldn't follow the plot there's like a numbers racket going on with antonio fargus's character and joseph sarola's character like the mob and like the i'd say the hood rats but they're not really they're like 70s black gangsters so kind of like sugar bear or sugar bear huggy bear from starsky and hutch is essentially what antonio fargus is playing he's uh a sweet stick in this. But he's essentially just playing his character Huggy Bear from Starsky and Hutch. Well, he reminds me more of Doodlebug from uh, Cleopatra Jones, because he was a pimp in that one, at least. So, I mean, H- Huggy Bear was, he was a nice guy. And this guy, he's not necessarily a nice guy. Yeah, but he's also not like a straight up villain either. Be- and, and you know what? That's because he's not given a whole lot to do. <laughs> he's in like two scenes and that's it. I feel like if I was listening to this episode that I would be really angry because I feel like those idiots who do podcasts about TV shows and they just don't do the research. Cause it's like, Oh idiot. If you go to the IMDB, you read the synopsis. It says an old black woman uses voodoo to resurrect her dead son, to kill those who murdered him and to kill those like Kolchak who would interfere. I don't get that from the episode, though. Like like I said, you, you said you watch it a couple times. I watch it a couple times. I don't ever really make that connection. I know, like, okay, towards the end, we find out that this cop is bad and, and, and crooked. But I don't get the whole that Francois is the old lady's son. I just never make that connection for some reason. Yeah, no, and you're right. There, There is an IMDb synopsis for it. And I didn't read the IMDb synopsis until – earlier today so i could have a good idea of what's going on but yeah is it upsetting that they don't explain in the episode what's going on hell yeah it's upsetting because it's a it's a muddled episode there's no there is no concise plot here it's all over the place well it feels like we go really good for a little while until really until mama lois shows up because we've got this whole thing being set up where we've got so there, there's a couple threads happening in here. So our A story is obviously something is happening. Somebody is killing all of these gangsters in Chicago. So at least we've we've got a good Chicago story with this one. And then there's this division between the Italian gangsters and these guys are real fucking Italian. I mean, just the, the, I'm surprised they're not like saying "Mamma Mia," <laughs> you know? They're, just, they're real Italian, like such such stereotypes. I wanted one of them to have a chef's hat and doing like the "Mamma Mia Delicioso" fingers. Like, I mean, David Chase wrote the teleplay for this. Come on, like this is. You know, I was going to say these characters are more suited for like the Sopranos as aped by the Simpsons. This is like Fat Tony from the Simpsons. These guys are so fake. 
There's, it's like, it's the least nuanced Italian mobster characters I've seen in a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. These guys are, they're straight out of a comic book. They're right out of Black Belt Jones, man. Yeah. They're straight out of Alexander, what is that movie called? Jane Austen's Mafia. They're comically mobsters. The guy has like a rose pinned to his jacket. Joseph Sorolla's character, he has like the, and he has like the big poofy, like Frankie Valley hair. It's, in, it's insane. And they're all wearing like baby blue suits. Like, get, get out of here. This is absurd. The interplay between him and his right hand man. I'm trying to remember what the right hand man, like the, the actual actor. Victor Val Bisoglio. This guy, if you go out and you Google a picture of him, you'll be like, oh, that guy. I mean, this guy has been in so many things. I'm amazed. It says that uh, he's still alive. He is. Uh, was born in 1926, and he's still with us. And this guy has been in so many things. But as a child of the 70s, I mean, uh, you know, Frisco Kid, Saturday Night Fever, Police Woman, Quincy, all of these things. I'm just like, okay, yeah, I recognize this guy. And then. To go back to your David Chase connection, he was in The Sopranos as well. So this guy's been in just so many things. And yeah, that conversation that that he has with his boss, it's just like, wow. And they just keep peppering in like little Italian phrases. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, these guys are they're genuine mafia here or the syndicate, as they call them. It's Kolchak. What's a Kolchak? He's a reporter. That's right, Mrs. Pizzato. Uh, reporter, INS. What's an INS? Independent News Service, sir. Founded in 1904 by Enrico Peluzzi. I suppose you're wondering what I'm, I'm doing here. Well, I, I think, Mr. Spinoza... Sposato. I th- uh, Spazato, of course. I spent Vittorio. I remember you. Vittorio, this is the guy that crashed my daughter Barbara's wedding, remember? He fatto i fotografie, took all those pictures. He's right. No, no. No, there's been a horrible mistake. No, you see, you, you're thinking of my brother, Sidney Kolshak. He writes a society column. <laughs> I remember the two-dollar hat, Kolshak. <laughs> I got a memory like a steel trap. I never forget anything, as Victor. That's right. Photographic. Mr. Kolchak, you ever been to Mercy General Hospital? No, no, I never have. They got a great gastrointestinal man. They're one of the best in the Midwest. Here. Dr. Rosetti. Vittorio, why don't you make an appointment for Mr. Kolchak with Dr. Rosetti? Joseph Sorolla, who plays Sposato, the like main mobster, he's also still alive. <laughs> they're they're like like you said, born in like the late night, the late twenties. Darren Gavin, though, not around anymore. Not around, unfortunately. No. Scatman Crothers also not around. Scatman Crothers, why he's in this episode? Beyond me. Well, he did it for five minutes. If right, that. yeah, no, I that's what, I I don't understand why he's in this. He has like a couple lines and that's kind of it. And then Antonio Fargas shows up and takes over the entire scene that he's in. If this television episode was made today, towards the end, Scatman Crothers would come back as the puppet master because it's almost one of those like you introduce the guest star and you're like, oh, yeah. And then like they take the narrative away from that guest star and you're just like, there's no way that you just hired Scatman Crothers to read five pages but no they did that's it he's not here anymore it's really strange right like i didn't understand why he's in this episode right because i thought he was like the head of the african-american mob but no he just is running this business that kolchak has to go to and then yeah like you said antonio fargus comes in introduces himself talks about how kolchak had written some bad things about him 
a very uh, purple prose. I'm trying to remember. He called Bernard Sweetstick Weldon the Duke of the Southside Numbers fiefdom. And so, yeah, we have this whole thing of the black mob versus the Italian mob. And then even that doesn't necessarily play into it. So it, it, so those are, that's our A story. And our B story is this whole thing with, uh, Marmelstein, the publisher's niece who wants to become a reporter here at INS. And, uh, we know that Kolchak works alone, doesn't want anybody around him much, especially a woman. <laughs> get her out of here. So every time they get into a situation, he pretty much just takes her, puts her in a cab, and sends her away. The best line in this entire episode is one that Joseph Sirola says to Antonio Fargus. Jerry here was at that counting house when that guy walked in. He was a coconut. And one of these days, Mr. S., some coconuts are going to fall on your head, and it's going to hurt. Well, let me tell you what's going to happen. Number one, one more of my people gets knocked off, there's going to be coconut milk all over this place. Number two, I want reparations for the Russo brothers. I wouldn't bet my granddaughter's ballet slippers on that if I was you, Mr. S. Is he being racist? Is he saying that because he's black, he likes coconuts? Like, I couldn't, I didn't know if that was racist. But it was just like it was just like a strange thing. Like if you don't do this, there's gonna be coconut milk all over the place. Like okay, it's a little. I guess it's racist, kind of. Because there's already that interchange that they have where um, you think some of my boys been ripping off some of yours. That's right, licorice stick, sweet stick, whatever. I'm thinking there's some racially motivated stuff going on behind that. I mean, there's a lot of like kind of off color stuff going on. At, at one point, the police officer Winwood goes, "Get that stupid female out of here!" It's like, oh shit, come on, episode. Like you, you don't have to do this. Okay, it's another, it's another era. I know, but still, like, let's get this stupid female out of here. I will say that I really like the scenes with Gordy the Ghoul. He is always fantastic. I like that. This uh, episode has uh, not just him, uh, who most people know John Fielder as uh, the voice of Piglet, right, on Winnie the Pooh, and then the caretaker of the funeral home, uh, J. Pat O'Malley, he was also a Disney voice actor. So as soon as he came up on screen, I was like, I don't necessarily know this guy's face, but I know his voice. Why is that? And then looked him up and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. He was in, uh, like Alice in Wonderland and the Jungle Book and all of this stuff. I was like, oh, okay. So this is populated by, uh, by voice actors from Disney films. Interesting. Or, and then Hong Kong Fui himself with, uh, Skatman Crothers. John Fiedler is so good in this. That he kind of makes all the other guests who are quote unquote bigger names look worthless. What do you think of that exchange that Kolchak and him have while uh, Tony is on the phone? Oh, it's fantastic. Where it's like it's going back and forth and he's answering one and answering the other, but he can't, but neither knows who's being answered when, essentially. County Morgue Spangler. Oh, hold on. It's for you. Chicken blood? That's right. Listen, Kolchak. Monique is going to call her uncle Abe. Abe the Smiling Cobra. In his ear? That's right. Kolchak, what are you talking about? What happened? They buried him. Buried him? Bury who? Abe Marmelstein? If she gets to him, he's going to come down on me like a ton of chicken blood. Whatever. Then I'm going to have to come down on you. Why? That's management. I don't know. You're going to have to apologize to her. Can you help me? Yeah, I think I can convince her to come to the fault. Now, you hang on. 
Help you? Did you know the, the what, where, who, how, and why? Well, yeah, I guess so. For a fee. For a fee. Terrific, terrific. Yeah, hello, hello. Listen, uh, Monique, I think everything's going to be all right. He's going to apologize to you. Hello? I'm listening. Hello? Hello? Kill him! I mean, I just always remember John Fiedler from Wolf in the Fold on Star Trek. Yeah, so that's and, and obviously the voice of Piglet. I mean, his <laughs> John Fiedler's normal voice is Piglet's voice. It, it, there's not like a huge difference in his voice when it's no, when it's Piglet or when it's just John Fiedler as John Fiedler. I always knew him growing up as being uh, one of Bob Newhart's patients on the Newhart Show. And then when I would watch, you know, and I'm watching that when I'm like five, six years old, way too young, right? And then I'm watching Winnie the Pooh at the same time, or not at the exact same time, but, you know, around the same age. And I'm just like, this is so weird. That's the patient from Bob Newhart. (laughs) He's just, he's got that really recognizable voice that, you know, when you hear it, you know, it's, you can tell that it's his voice. It's. Yeah, but he's he's fantastic in the episode. He's the he's the best part of this episode in an episode that is so muddled from a storytelling standpoint. It is really his performance that stands out. This episode was co-written or at least what is it? Story credit goes to Chase. And then the other writer on this is uh, Zekiel Marco, who he actually had quite a career. He was a novel writer and uh, wrote a, a lot of crime novels, uh, and including the novel that uh, Once a Thief, the movie was based on, and he even wrote the screenplay for Once a Thief. This isn't the John Woo Once a Thief. This is the uh, 1965 crime film, the one that uh, I think Morricone did the screenplay for it, and it's uh, Alain Delon and, and Margaret, Jack Palance, and he did at least one other film that was, or one other book that was turned into a film that was um, made in France. Did some great work. And so I'm wondering if that's, you know, if he kind of brought the crime element to this screenplay. But I mean, it's natural. You're going to set something in Chicago. You're going to mess with the mafia. But yeah, I mean, they just made these cartoon character <laughs> mafiosi in here. Yeah, they're unrealistic mafiosi. And it, it just it detracts from the episode. They're not supposed to be funny, but they end up being way more comical than they should have been. And the zombie himself, now, I didn't have this confirmed anywhere officially, but I did a little deducing (laughs) to find out. So the guy who played the zombie, who played Francois Edwards, his name is Earl Faison, and he was a former uh, football player whose nickname in the NFL was Tree. And this guy is huge. Now, I hear the name Faison, and I'm just like, okay, I wonder if he's related to Frankie Faison. Now... I'm not saying that they are brothers, but I'm saying that they're born 10 years apart and they're born in the exact same city. So I'm pretty sure that these guys are related. Maybe they're cousins. I don't know. But I couldn't find that cool, you know, little known fact. This was, uh, you know, Frankie Faison's brother. But and I have to say that that's a really good scare in the episode is towards the end when Kolchak is trying to uh, disarm the zombie by pouring salt in his mouth. So I guess we go back to Supernatural with that one. They're always fucking using salt, or at least in the first five years of that show they were. And uh, when his eyes open, I actually uh, emitted a small scream. 
I felt like because of how muddled this episode was towards the end, when we finally get to see the zombie, I was just kind of like, okay, like it wasn't, you know, like I was not invested in this episode because this episode didn't do a whole lot to like warrant being invested in. So when it came to the point where Kolshak is in the junkyard facing off against the zombie at the end, it felt kind of wasted because of how bad the episode had been up until this point. Yeah, I really wish there had been better motivation of these characters. I mean, it took me at least three or four viewings of this episode before I realized that Antonio Fargus crushes Kolchak's recorder, and that's why he's got the new recorder, and that's what screws him up by not knowing how this new tape recorder works, and that's what gets him caught by the mob guys. So it's just like, wow, that was really subtle that that happened, but okay but there were a lot of things where i'm just like yeah no i'm not really catching it there were a lot of times where i'm just like i can't see what's happening on screen right now because it is so bloody dark yeah that's the other issue i had with this episode whatever was happening on screen was so it was like viewing this is like oh what's that guy's name the guy who directed end of days <laughs> it was like he shot this oh episode. hyams yeah it was yeah. like end of days dark and that movie was essentially shot through mud on the lens. It looked just like, I mean, it looked just like that. It was just as dark. And you, you have to be able to see what's going on on screen. You can't expect us to have no idea what's going on. What and, we need is the full digital restoration of this episode. Yeah, Cri- right. Criterion needs to get on this one. Yeah, right. No, thanks. The quality of... The story and the quality of the shots in this episode just leaves so much to be desired. And there's also like a character in this episode that's kind of just he keeps mentioning him. And it's almost like deus ex machina, the monk that I don't know if it's ever going to come back. But I was it like made me roll my eyes because I was like, this character, this is literally just just plot convenience. It's like basal exposition. You know what I mean? Like it's literally so he can go and just write off how he figures out about this stuff. Well, I want to ask, do we, other than maybe on a slab, do we ever see the Russo brothers that they keep talking about? No. Like, I just, there was so much going on in this episode that's either not mentioned or not clarified. All right. I'm glad that I'm not the only one because I was feeling really stupid before we had this conversation because I was like, I just don't understand everything that's happening here. No, it's, like I said, I watched it twice because I was like, maybe I missed something. But this is a thoroughly confusing episode, and not because it's, like, trying to do something interesting. It's thoroughly confusing because it doesn't do enough. It just – it doesn't take the time to develop a story that's concise and easy to follow. I will give it a shout-out as far as the good stuff we talked about. Some of the dialogue being snappy at times. Gordy the Ghoul being fantastic. The music worked very well in this episode. I have to say Jill Melee's score was good but uh yeah there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot else happening with this one and even the part where mama lois is using a voodoo doll of kolshak or like possessing him that scene i had no idea what was going on like i know what they were i know what they were going for from just like a, a trope standpoint of having seen enough zombie and voodoo related stuff in the past like serpent in the rainbow stuff like that but i knew what they were going for but it was so poorly executed the episode really felt like it lost steam probably around like the midway point i mean the intro 
to it I thought was great. I thought that Carl, his voiceover is always good. And the way that um, Tony comes in and does that whole like, oh, yeah, I read your piece. It was fantastic. And he's like, oh, you must be a speed reader. I just finished it. Like, I like that interchange and Tony, you know, kind of foisting uh, Marmestine on him. I thought that was really good. I wish I believe it or not, I actually wish there had been more of her character in this episode. Well, the, she was an interesting character that actually had a, an interesting interplay with Kolshak and – I believe she comes back. She'll be a regular for us. So that's good. John Fiedler is coming back. Scatman Crothers probably got a nice little paycheck out of this. Let's hope that he at least made the the boat payment that month. Right. And the character of the monk might come back. I would like to know what church in Chicago has a monk, an an actual monk that is at the church. The other thing that bothered me about this episode is the end of the episode, the the end narration is really good another thing that irked me was the end narration being so good and being wasted on a on a on a mediocre episode kolchak is essentially like daring the audience to go and prove him wrong and he knows that they can't because he saw everything if you care to venture out and exhume the corpse be my guest then he looks at the camera and that's it yeah it was nice it was kind of a breaking of the fourth wall This is so silly for me to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. I really like McGavin's thing where he is miming the sewing of the mouth being shot. (laughs) And then even even does the miming of snipping the the Yeah, like biting it. Yeah, it's such a nice little touch that he does there. It's like, wow, that's really nice. Those are those moments where you're just like, this is why I like this guy. Yeah, it's just, again, it's, it's a shame that this episode is so bad. And, you know, we talk a lot about the setting and how it's kind of a mistake to keep him stuck in Chicago. This episode, it actually makes sense that we have Chicago and they're using this kind of mafioso story that we've got the South Side guys who are these African-Americans. I'm just like, okay, this makes sense that we have this story unfolding here. So I don't think we'll necessarily see that in every episode moving forward. But I thought that they used the setting very well this time around. Yeah, I mean, they really played up to the strengths of what is probably was the perceived nature of the city in the mid 70s. And uh, again, it's, it's really unfortunate that the episode is so mediocre that it, it takes advantage of it, but it just doesn't doesn't do anything. It's not not good. It's not good. Well, I feel really bad because uh, I interviewed Antonio Vargas for this, but he only really talked about Kolchak for maybe about five minutes, said he liked working with Darren McGavin. That was about it. I mean, really, it was this was probably a day's work for the guy, maybe two. So, And with him doing so many TV shows in the 70s, it's amazing that some of these actors can even remember some of the shows that they were on. <laughs> so I'm going to play the interview in toto on the July episode of the Projection Booth uh, for I'm Going to Get You Sucker. Uh, so if folks want to tune in to hear that over there, but didn't have anything specific for this uh, episode, but hopefully we made up for it with the last episode, having a, a really good interview. And then in a few months here, we'll have uh, a pretty, I, I think it's a, a good interview with uh, a, a character who's not in this episode. No, he's not in this episode. And uh, the lack of him being in this episode is definitely felt. 
I could have seen some good interaction between him and Marmelstein. I think uh, I'm excited to actually see those two on screen together at the same time. But I honestly don't feel bad that he wasn't in this episode because this episode was such a stinker that I don't think his character being in this episode would have saved it. You know, felt like it needed another rewrite or something and maybe a better cinematographer on it. For sure. The just there's a lot in this episode that is not feels like missed opportunity after missed opportunity. So, well, we don't have any sort of a rating system on the show or else we'd give it. Uh, I know some people give, you know, four out of five typewriters, those kind of things. But I would say, yeah, don't rush out to see this one. Two out of five pork pie hats. Well, there is pork pie hats. Two out of five glasses of that sweet, sweet coconut milk that they're talking about in that episode. This is this is the worst Kolchak thing that we've watched so far. This is worse than the Norlis tapes for you? That's not Kolchak. That's like a, another thing. But th- I mean, this is worse than the Norlis tapes, obviously. I mean, it is. If we're if we're talking about everything we've talked about up until this point right now is is the is the worst thing that we've talked about without without a doubt. At least the Norlis tapes like it, the Norlis tapes was problematic for me because it just felt derivative. But at least it told a story that went from point A to point B to point C. This episode goes from point A to, you know, Roman numeral X to point C back to point B. It's, there's just there's no there is no through line in this episode that makes a lot of sense. And it's just a, it's really disappointing. So next month, are we going to be doing an episode of the old series or the new series of Kolshak? Uh, the old series. You said it was two two on one off. That's what you had told. That's what you had told me. I have to wake up at I have to wake up at six in the morning on Saturday to refo- record a fucking podcast and you get the fuck out of here, Mike. Well, that will be. They have been. They are. They will be. AKA the UFO. So I'm excited to talk about that one. Hopefully that uh, things get a little bit better on that episode. Uh, so Chris Stashu, where can people find you on a day to day basis? They can find me over at cultureshocked.com, culture with a K. And you can also find me uh, co-hosting the Culture Cast, where we do monthly-themed movie marathons and also cover most of the big movies that come out during the year. So that's where you can find me on the Culture Cast. So on iOS, Android, and all podcasting apps. We're even on the Zoom. I hear the Zoom is coming back. I had a guy complain to me the other day that my website takes too long to load, and can I please make it a smaller website for him? And I was just like, you can get the episodes in so many places. Here, let me list off 10 places that you can get them. He was going to the website to get the episodes? Uh, that guy's a fucking idiot, so congratulations. I mean, like, I don't know what you want me to say. Like, I, I've never gone to a website to get an episode of a podcast ever. I mean, maybe the first time I ever go there and I'm just like, what is this show? How do I subscribe? Then once I subscribe, I usually never go back. Yeah, I use casts on my phone. Yes. Which is a, a pay. F- I, you do, I mean, assuming you use that as well. I use something called BeyondPod for my, my uh, Motorola device, yes. I have an iOS trash can, so it's just constantly on fire. It's so bad. Where can people find you, Mike, on a weekly basis? I am over at the Projection Booth, which is projection-booth.com. But don't go there because the site's way too heavy. So just find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, uh, the Zune as well. Um, I'm following your lead on that one, riding your coattails as it was. So thank you for hooking me up with those Microsoft guys. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, they had to get rid of those zunes, otherwise they were going to bury them in a landfill in New Mexico under a ton of concrete, so they had to do something with them. Right next to the uh, E.T. video game? Yeah, right next to the E.T. carts. If they think your website is big, Mike, they better not go to cultureshock.com because then they won't be able to load that website for sure. It is as pictures, woof, and videos. Oh, man. Careful. Watch out. Well, I want to thank uh, John Walker for our theme song. I forgot to thank him last time, so hopefully you'll still speak to me after this. But, uh, yeah, I always enjoy hearing John's music. And if you want to hear more from us, go on back and listen to our back episodes over via all those places that we just mentioned, except for the Zune. We can't get Kolchak uh, tapes on the Zune yet, so hopefully one of these days they'll accept our application. I'd really like to get a, an episode of our podcast on a tape that could go into Kolchak's tape recorder. That would be that'd be amazing. And then we could just walk around with our pork pie hats on. Well, that's it for us. Be sure to come on over to kolchaktapes.com. Subscribe to the podcast uh, whichever which whichever way you want. We'll have many ways available for you to do that. And yeah, come on over to our Facebook and uh, join the lively discussions about the X-Files remakes. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be the only thing that we post on there anymore, and just people. I liked it, and Chris says I didn't. Yeah, I didn't because it was shit. Right now, I'm just going through and unfriending people who insist that the new Twin Peaks is awful. I'm just like, how can you tell? We're only a few episodes in because they wanted more of the '80s when it was on ABC. It's on Showtime now, folks. They can show tits. They can show blood and gore. If David. Lynch had wanted it that way in the first place, and he would have been able to do it. He would have. So if you want to complain about it, here's the door. Item. Mamaloa Edmonds was deported to her native country only one day after the events of the junkyard. Item. Captain Leo Winwood was relieved of duty for, quote, reasons of health, unquote. Item. Francoise Edmonds, the deceased, was buried a third time at public expense. A third time. However, this time, rock salt was poured in his mouth and his lips were sewn shut. City officials will deny this, but you can see it for yourself if, if you'd care to venture out to St. Lucie Cemetery and exhume the corpse. Be my guest, if you've got the nerve.